Welcome to Happy Healthy Whole, a show dedicated to helping black women approach healing and life by selecting a holistic approach to their self-care and wellness. I am your host and creator of Self-Care for Black Girls Collective, Sharia Farmer. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your journey as we talk healing, coping, self-love, and so much more. First, I want to thank you for doing this. Right, was supposed to do it the other day, but work got in the way. Um, so, um, you know, I just want to talk for a little while. Okay. We still got to eat dinner. Um, so, so, the first thing is, it's been one year. Um, you know, since everything started to shut down. You know, due to COVID, uh, especially it's been exactly one year in our house mm-hmm. because it was early that day. You know, Doctor Smith called and told me to go ahead home, which changed everything for you. Mm-hmm. Right? It had to change the way that you did business with the practice. Absolutely. So, <laughs> tell you know, tell me a little bit about how you were able to to shift the environment for for the practice, but also. Because Rebecca just started. Yeah, like literally on the ninth. <laughs> so tell me what it was like to onboard her virtually, um, but also how to shift all the services uh, online. So the first thing was, it was not intended to be more than two weeks, right? Like, so that was the illusion in our heads at the beginning. So um, what I thought was, let me try to plan as quickly as possible to get them virtual. Um, the good thing was that I already had some of some aspects of our practice virtual because of my work. And so really it was just transitioning them virtually as quickly as possible, them being the rest of my staff. Um, and so onboarding Rebecca during the process was very stressful at the beginning. Um, the good thing was we had met in person. We had a few meetings before, but it literally was two days after her official start, even though she was coming to visit even before then. Um, And so it really did push us and switch us really quickly to like, how do I change my process of orientation? How do I change everything from in-person to virtual? And so a lot of the shift was really looking at what do I already have in place so that I wouldn't be so overwhelmed and kind of mimicking that for the the staff that that was around me. Um, for her orientation, I, I still feel like she didn't get the fullness of me, <laughs> but she probably would argue differently. Um, but I do feel like it did impact the beginning of this new journey for our business. But she was a champion, like in terms of just like, you know, adjusting with me. We, you know, we ended up meeting a lot more because we were virtual um, because I didn't want her to feel like she didn't get the same attention that I would have given her if we were in office um, because I would have visited between clients or had her come up to speak with me if she needed the questions or anything. And so the first couple of months, we really spent a lot of time like getting to know each other, also working on her getting to know the practice and orientating. So it was, it was different. It was extremely stressful, but it was doable. And that's the, that's the next question because it was stressful because there was so much unknown. Mm-hmm. Right. We didn't know if clients were going to continue to come, if they were going to, you know, the older clients were going to be able to transition to to um, to Zoom or, you know, whatever platform. Initially, it was Zoom that you were using it, you know, in all the platforms. And then when they started rolling out, you know, all those PPP loans or whatever they want to call them, all those small business loans. We were getting nothing. Yeah. Right. And so. Now, now we know a year later, we know that Black folks in particular, Black women-owned business specifically, were being mm-hmm. frozen out of those loans, right? And so you didn't get anything, but somehow the practice <laughs> has grown. So first, I want to say I'm proud of you for that, right? Thank you. Um, but the practice has grown. So tell me about the different services that are now being offered in this space? So when we first 
so there's a, a few things that I'm excited about. And like some of them are just extremely free and there are no financial gain to the business, but they are my babies. So I'll talk about them last. Um, but we have transitioned fully virtual for our um, for all of our individual family and couple therapy. We also have a weekly group that we do within the self-care for black girls group, as well as we are doing a lot of racial equity, anti-racism and inclusion work. And so a lot of what happened and a lot of what I shifted really quickly was to be able to create um, avenues of passive income for the business. So that way, Rebecca wouldn't have to do anything different than when she was in the office by getting the clients that she would need. Because I didn't want her to feel like, oh, well, now we got to start making money because now we're losing money. There was rent still to be paid. You know, we still had this place that there's literally no additional income besides the income that I was making from my clients. And so literally the the services related to our leadership coaching, consultation, and training became an avenue that I didn't even expect to take off as much as it did, but it really is now, um, based off of last year's revenue, is literally competing with my outpatient, and it may surpass it based off of the contracts that I got this year, even going forward. Um, so it's been exciting, but it was nervous, nervous at the beginning. I was scared that we were going to have to close and I was going to have to go find a full-time job, which was something that, you know, I never want to do, not just because I don't want to work with others, but I really feel passionate about being able to provide mental health services the way that is authentic to my Blackness. And so I just didn't want to have to shift that and go back to a system that kind of controls how or who I get to serve. And so I'm glad that we were able to adjust. I'm glad that I have the gift of gab <laughs> where I will reach out to people and say, hey, you want some work? You want some trainings? And, you know, it's funny because I do think that there was this uh, grace period where people were kind of looking for what we offered anyway because of the mental health transition. Um, we had a, a very strong um, consultant client already in place from the previous year. And literally what they almost tripled their budget to be able to work with me. Um, and to work with me exclusively related to supporting their staff in COVID. So it really did um, come down to being creative. It came down to literally realizing that no one was going to give us any money. Like I applied for any and everything that would come our way. And we were rejected like all the way up until April of 20. Wait, no, actually we were rejected all the way up until the end of the year of last year. Yeah, like up until the other day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. and that was under Biden. Right. Yeah. So, when that change and even the shift around the language and how many people you had the previous year, that little change changed access for a lot of Black businesses. Mm -hmm. Specifically, it did for us. But up until then, it was really up to me to figure it out, right. which wasn't so, the worst thing. <laughs> all right. So, you know, at that point, we had Rebecca. Mm hmm but the staff has continued to grow mm -hmm. over the past year. Like Rebecca was the, the only employee at the time, mm -hmm. but now there's Donnell, well, Sherry has always been there. Um, <laughs> like Sherry's all right. <laughs> uh, Lisa, Michelle, mm -hmm. Brittany. Yeah. Uh, you trying to get them all? Sarah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember all these names, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, Lance, yeah, Lance does some consulting work. So, like, talk to me about how each person that, that's come on board plays into the ultimate vision of RS Counseling and Wellness. Well, the first reason, and I'm, I'm sorry because I people people are in my group talking, and I don't want to not come back to them and ask them some questions. So, um, when I I'll read them out later, but. Okay. Uh, with all of them coming on board at the right times, it was about respecting people's expertise and areas of expertise around what the world was dealing with. Um, so part of who I am has always been about social justice and racial equity work literally before all of the uprising prior to this. And so there was already some relationships formed where like Lance would come out and do a training with me for like trauma-informed supervision or um, inclusion related to LGBTQ plus in terms of training my um, students. 
And so it literally became like, hey, I have these opportunities. And part of my vision is to not just offer opportunities for others, but to make sure that they get to benefit from the expertise of that person. And then also to give them the ability to start marketing, marketing themselves to go to the next level. Because I do really feel like part of what we do best, and I think you do it as well with your babies, is like help people to see their re- that the reality is that they can have and do anything that they put their minds to. And so literally all of them align according to like our clinical beliefs, but also what they want for themselves. So I try to match people in the practice with what they want for themselves around goals and development, but also where their expertise already lies. And so Lance was just so easy to roll right right in. He sort of like family. Sherry, like you said, has been with us before all of these things were happening. But when Rebecca, Brittany, who were all new and had never worked with, and even Donnell, who were all new, but didn't get to work outside with me in the world, Um, have now gained this um, awesome connection with me. So Donnell and I will have check-ins that are just about checking in on him and and I and our family. Um, We share very similar spiritual beliefs. So we connect in that way, right? And so it's been really interesting to form these relationships with the staff without being present. But I hope that they all know that it's partly because they're awesome people, but it's also what I hope that they offer expertise-wise to the world. And so they all align with our vision and our vision being about wellness specifically. Um, each of them have their own connection to that work. And so I'm really proud of all of them. And so it, it didn't take long, you know, in, in the remote environment for the clients to come, Yeah. right? We, we hadn't been locked away more than a month before people just started like really just beating down a website. Yeah. So just talk to me a little bit about what you see people are feeling, um, especially, you know, early, you know, April, May of last year, um, by what people were feeling that said, all right, I need to go get some help. So I think, you know, like the traditional reasons were, oh, you know, this is such a different way to live. I don't know the the new normal, right? And so a lot of it was like acute anxiety-based things, which I'm gonna try to not to use any jargon as much as possible, but it's really like came down to people having this shock to their system that says everything in my life has changed. And as a result, I need some kind of support and or um, acknowledgement that I can't do this on my own. And so a lot of the original, and I'm gonna change that to a little bit too in a second. A lot of the original clients were about that acute shock to their system that said, hey, this is so out of my control. I'm used to being able to have um, things that I'm able to do to make myself feel better to get through each day. And I'm not able to use my basic coping skills because they were things like going out with my friends. They were things like, you know, taking walks with my, um, my neighbors or going out to dinner. So they were things that included the boundaries that we no longer had, right? So we can't go out, we can't commune with people, we can't do all these other things. But really what that meant was all of the coping skills that people had developed, they weren't useful during this early part of the pandemic. Um, But I think there was a shift. And I don't know if you want me to go right into that shift or you want to talk a little bit more about. We'll go, we'll go to it in a minute. So I think there was a shift for multiple reasons. So I like to say that we are, and when I'm training or talking about collective trauma, I talk about the twin pandemic. Um, And so what that means is there was this major shift. And obviously um, we've already experienced the anniversary for um, Ahmaud, sorry. Ahmaud Aubrey. Mm -hmm. Ahmaud Aubrey. And then on this Saturday, we will experience the first anniversary for Breonna Teller. There was this shift that happened around social um, uprising, but specifically racial justice and racial equity around like we are not being seen and it's enough is enough. And I think it was the perfect storm. And I I use that terminology lightly, the perfect storm of being um, quarantined while these injustices were happening that caused people to see it and be more available to accept it right? Um, Because there's no excuse. We got nothing to hide from. There's no reason for us not to see this information as a possibility. And then for Black people, it was just a reality that we've lived through multiple pandemics all of our lives. And so I think that shift from that acute system, just shock to our system, became this now need to be seen, heard, 
and also to resolve some unresolved traumas that are about intergenerational trauma, that are about really looking at what our history has done to entire oppressed and marginalized populations. And so really it shifted from this acute anxiety to this more real revel, um, I guess real relevant and obvious traumas that we've been dealing with, but now we have no choice but to look in the mirror and say it's impacting me. And so it's been an interesting shift for multiple reasons. My practice is mostly black and brown people. So that means that um, our therapists um, reflect usually that population. And so really what people started doing was reaching out for help because I got to navigate my black or brownness in the workplace, in school. I got to navigate that as well as while the world is going crazy around me and telling me that I got to decide to either get COVID, protest, not get COVID. And if I'm thinking about the equity issues around health and all of those things, it's impacting us more than ever, right? Um, so it just was such a large shift from this acute anxiety to this real concrete trauma around collective and generational trauma that we haven't dealt with. And I think, you know, here. We'll get to that in a moment in a minute, because of course we're talking about May 25th. Um, and the days that followed, but you know, when we had to shut down, it, it also because of my health issues, right? It, it changed the way that you had to exist in the world. <laughs> so, what what have you been doing to take care of yourself? Take care of you. <laughs> um, I've been very um. I've been very restrictive of my friends and family <laughs> around what I'm willing to do or how much I'm willing to do because of your health, um, which I didn't realize was a big deal until it started to become a big deal into months, right? Um, but at the beginning, it wasn't that big of a shift for me because I really do prioritize you as my immediate family, right? And so everyone in my life knows that. It's no secret. You're the most important thing to me, which means that I'm going to shift in order to make sure that you're safe and we're safe as a result. And so that meant not going outside. <laughs> that meant not going out to just go grocery shopping when other people could do that kind of thing with a mask on. It just meant really being very restrictive because I also didn't want you to get any possible sickness as a result of me interacting with others. So that was a real shift. But what I did, I think, in the beginning specifically was like, I started taking walks early, early in the morning on my own. Um, when we first shifted, because it was still warm, it had this like in between cold and warm space was the walks that really helped me. But also I just started to really look at like, hey, I like creating things. And so now I have like all these new materials that people benefit from and that my clients, sorry, people, my clients benefit from more than me <laughs> than, than you guys do. But I just, I'm a gift giver. So they get journals that are specific to them. Um, I had the honor of working with someone in their transition of life. And so that really taught me a lot about myself and taught me a lot about grief. And it taught me a lot about, um, you know, blackness and loving older black women and what they mean to me. Um, and so I really just was being honest to my emotions, speaking them out loud. Um, <laughs> Sherry has this funny thing. She tells this story about how Sharia is going to make you feel uncomfortable. If she feels it, she's telling you. And so the truth is that I just really tried to model the expectations that I would want from my clients and those people who are dealing with or thinking about trying to resolve mental health, right? You got to get it out. And so I've just taken care of myself in the ways. And then I've been consistently working out. Like I'm in this thing where I'm actually enjoying working out past just the health benefits, but also part of my just like getting me together for the day. And so I've been very consistent on that and journaling. And then spending some good time with you. Like this has been a very difficult time, but I get to eat dinner with you. And that's something that, you know, I don't take lightly because just two or three weeks before all this happened, I couldn't figure out what day we were going to sit down to eat together because of my schedule. But having that transition also make me have to honor the time with you separate from what I do has been a blessing. And it's been really tough not being able to see our family and our closest friends. I think that you see Monika one time, right? 
Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Monica, but this is after, you know, some of the yeah, regulations. This is months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've gotten to only really see, I saw Larry and Sasha came up once. Mm-hmm. And so I got to see them. I got to see Monica once, but outside of that, I haven't, and your mom uh, came over as well. Twice. And your dad gave us a wave, but I was in the middle of work. So I couldn't even really <laughs> get a hug, hug, or even say, Hey, even though we couldn't hug, but I would still have liked to spend some time speaking. But it was during like work hours. So I didn't, we didn't get the chance to get the same like outlets of opportunities to see people. But I think we've done pretty decent with keeping in touch with people virtually. Yeah, and I think, you know, early we adapted to Zoom quickly yeah. to make sure we connected with our friends. Um, you know, we were hosting the, we did the brunch, we mm-hmm. game night, we did the happy hour. So, and then we got really busy. <laughs> and so we kind of got really busy after Memorial Day, right? Because yeah. May 25th, the world changed, right? We, we saw George Floyd murdered that day and all hell broke loose, mm-hmm. right? In the streets, in the boardrooms. Mm-hmm. And then that, of course, brought an influx of work. Yes. How do you navigate doing the work for these largely white populations, right? <laughs> Go ahead and say it, babies. <laughs> but holding on to that blackness, right? Because I mean, if anybody knows us, we we black as hell, right? So <laughs> I, I wear mine everywhere I go. Yes. But I don't have to negotiate white folks the way you do. Right. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the work that you've been doing since the uprisings and how how you feel doing that work. So there's times when I'm going to be honest, there's times when I'm extremely exhausted with people, with humans regardless of race, um, because what I've learned in this work specifically, and I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna tread lightly because the one thing that all of the clients, white or non-white <laughs> that work with me understand is that part of what I teach is being authentic to your experience and to your journey. And my authentic self is that I'm a black woman. And so I will not be ashamed of that, nor will I try to navigate your comfortability with that. Um, and so really what, it's exhausting because there is ignorance, but there's ignorance on so many levels regarding policy systems. And because of the work that I'm specifically doing with agencies or public health, as well as government agencies, these are impacting largely my community, right? This is the medication you're not getting. This is the the lack of services in a community because it's primarily brown or black, right? So a lot of what I do in order to stay sane and to also really realize the purpose is that I acknowledge who I am. And I'm authentic to I, who I am. When they sign up for me, they sign up for a very openly expressive Black woman. And so what that means, though, is that I'm also coming from a trauma-informed approach, which acknowledges that we each have to navigate trauma and racial trauma being specifically the background I work clinically with. We each got to acknowledge that this impacts us. But when I come in here, I'm coming here to resolve the equity issues around race that are impacting the people that look like me and or share my cousin, my cousins who are also there, right? And so a lot of it is just being authentic. It's being me. Like you don't get, I don't, sh- I don't do shifting or what is, is it shift? The book that I used to love, right? Shifting. Mm-hmm. Shifting, right? I don't do much shifting any longer um, because what I was, I realized is that no matter how good I got at that, they still saw me as a black woman and specifically as a black woman who shows up looking a certain way and which creates stereotypes around it. And so really they get me and that's who you're going to work with. And so I try to be as authentic as possible in in the beginning so that when I'm coming straight at you because you're doing something racist and I'm saying that it's racist, I'm not using any, you know, cute way to say it. (laughs) Like I'm telling you that then you're not offended because you know that it's coming from a space that says, if we are going to learn together, you're also going to be called out. Um, And so I also, and and I think one of the other things with the people that I'm working with, 
I'm really intentional about turning down things. One of the things that happened right after um, George Floyd's uh, murder was that there was organizations that are very much about all lives matter conversations and talk that wanted me to come in and do presentations or try to, to reword their statements because you know everybody had a statement, right? I'm not going to do that work for you because I know what you do consistently in the community. And so I'm gonna go ahead and say no and let someone else do that because that's too stressful for me in the midst of the same racial trauma that the rest of my people are feeling, right? right? And so I'm very intentional. And the other thing is, I feel like we gotta do this. I know, like, so let me take that back. Let me take that back because we don't have to do this. And it's not appropriate for us to expect um, black people to take on the labor of this work. But because I have elected for this to be part of my work even before George Floyd and Breonna Teller and other uprising, there is a certain connection to the work that I've always had and that matters to me. So I don't wanna give it up just because we're in what feels like a trending moment. Um, we have a lot of statements and a lot of what we're gonna do to support black people but here it is a year later and all we have is statements, right? Um, you, you bring up the 24th and all I am thinking in my head is that as a black woman, just you know, almost sandwiched in the middle of those two major incidents is this beautiful woman who's murdered, who would be considered an essential worker at this point, who's murdered and basically told later in this journey that we don't matter as black women, right? That's why I can't give up, right? That's why I can't just be like, hey, it's stressful, but so since it's stressful, I can't do the work. But what I do to make sure I care for myself is I take time out. I say no to assignments that I know are going to mentally drain me because they are so far behind and or I do it in a different way, right? So I create trainings for them, but I won't come in and train them live because I know what that might mean for me. But it really does come down to like shifting and adjusting. So I want to be very clear with something. When, when we talk RS counseling and wellness, the original intent was to provide services for Black women. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? And so I know now it's, it's, it's grown. You know, we see families. We definitely see men. There, there are some white women who come. Mm -hmm. White women just love to, you know, Black women. Um, I mean, I've had them all this time. I have right. women of every nationality, actually, right now. Right. So we have all these different services. But why was the, uh, the original intent Black women? Well, because I feel very... Um, now I'm going to tread a little lightly. Because I don't feel like arguing with Black men right now. Right? So... <laughs> as I say that, and I'm sure somebody that landed the wrong way on y'all, but um, somebody had to see us. I think, you know, during, uh, damn, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. During the Obama slash, you know, end of his reigns and stuff, there was some language and talk about program and programs that will shift towards giving more women opportunities that were really about black men. And it's, you know, there was a lot of things going on. And really what I, feel deeply is that I can't wait on nobody else to do it. And so the level of internal abuse as well as uh, community abuse and worldly abuse that Black women experience, I just felt like I'm fed up. I want to be able to give you a place where you can just come and be whole and expect for no judgment around how you got to this place, right? So how you show up as a Black woman doesn't mean that you show up like me, but you are still seen for the one, the Black woman you are. And so it was really about being able to be a, a safe, supportive space that said, the world can't always see you, but I always will. And it's very much about the stigma that comes around, that comes with mental health work. Um, we weren't allowed to do anything but be the strong Black woman. And what that carries with it is a weight that is burdensome, and costly to our spirits. And as a result, not having a place that says, come to me, be with me and let me be with you in this journey of healing and moving past some intergenerational and oppressive traumas, then no who else was gonna do it, right? And now 
there are some amazing black therapists, shout out to all of my amazing black male and female therapists who are doing this great work. But the truth is that it, we're in small numbers, even though it seems like a lot of us all on social media, we're in small numbers when you put us throughout the country. And so to be able to see and to decide very consciously, like even in my write-ups on my website, the pictures, everything is very intentional about saying in this space, you will be safe. And so I really do say Black women and families, because what that also comes for me is that as a daughter of a single mother, it was important for me to make sure that single mothers knew that they could get help and get support for their children too, if they needed that. Because you know, also I love adolescents. So, <laughs> so let's let's transition to how you brought that that safe space for Black women to Facebook, right? <laughs> that that self care for Black girls group, and that has now just gone absolutely insane and keeps you up most nights. Um, <laughs> tell me how that originated. And I know that's kind of a tough story. Yeah. <laughs> I said, we're going to do that. Like, uh, okay, go ahead. I go for, I'm here for it. Go ahead. And then how it's grown and, and what the uses are for it. Okay. So in my head about six years ago, I had this dream that I was going to have this community of Black women where they could just come be free to be supported. And it was talk about caring for themselves and wellness. I tried this program. I tried this. And I tried to offer it really, really affordable compared to some of my rates related to my services. And nothing was, nothing was hitting. And then, and this was after I lost my sister about the six years. So that was that mark. That was the beginning of the journey. But then I lost my mom. And so, and I'm gonna hold tight y'all like y'all gonna bear with me because I just said earlier Sherry would tell you that she keeps it real emotionally so I'm gonna hold up and try not to go too emotional on you but when I lost my mom my life felt so different in that moment like um and I still feel like I don't breathe the same as a result um and so what started as this small intimate group of friends and people that I'm close with on Facebook and I was really just doing this small group of like, hey, I'm going to check in with everybody because it was almost like a way for me to get support since everyone that I love is no longer in the state of New Jersey or almost everyone in, is not in the state of New Jersey close enough for me to reach, right? Like on a daily basis. Um, and so being away from everyone also meant that I didn't get in touch with them as often or we don't have that same connection every day. And so this was just a way that came really down to me creating a space for my friends and family. What started as my friends and family, um, that was in 2019. It was literally like March, April when I created it. And we were, you know, I just, we put in posts every day, I, you know, me and my like, hey, keep yourself motivated. Here's the self-care tip for the day. And, and everybody was into it. So it was like, oh, okay, this is working. I'm glad that people enjoy it. And it really came down to this shift from, just a small, intimate, maybe about 60 of us. And then I opened it up probably at the beginning of 2020, correct? Mm-hmm. Right? No, 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 no. So I opened it up before the pandemic. Yeah, that's the beginning of 2020. Okay, okay. okay. So <laughs> look, it's all blended together. So I opened it up for them to be able to invite their friends, but I never opened it up to a public, like everybody in the whole like world. And then so literally at that point, it became like this thing where I'm actually doing it every day. I enjoy it. We were having conversations. We had like topics of the week or the day. Um, And so then when the pandemic hit, I opened it up to everybody. And what that meant was, you know, creating a lot of rules and keeping it controlled because I believe ethically that there are certain things that Facebook can't give you, right? Facebook is not therapy you know, some meme and or even a conversation that people are having on Facebook cannot be the same as sitting with someone who knows your individual story around what your healing and um, your issues are related to being in therapy or needing mental health work. And so it's very much about like giving people what they need in a way that is not saying that you can't go and get the additional work in therapy space. And so when we opened it up, we literally created support groups. Um, 
and we do a support group every Thursday. So today I drop, I'm there, you guys are in here with me. Um, what that means is that we literally have a check-in each week where we talk about what's going on emotionally. We talk about, you know, our five areas of wellness, um, which is about our physical, spiritual, emotional, um, mental, which is our intellectual, and then also social health. We talk about methods that you can do to take care of yourself every single day, even as we're in a pandemic. And so literally it went from 200 of us to about 32,000 <laughs> of us now kind of joining in, supporting each other. And literally, I mean, I get, I, it's my joy because it's actually something that I've wanted for years to be able to say, I can support and give a place that is safe. We have very strict rules on not promoting. They'll come in there trying to just sell your, uh, your incense or whatever you want to sell this week. Lace front wigs. <laughs> yeah, um, because that's not what this space is for. We have that for journaling. Yeah. Like, so I come in on Wednesday and I talk about trauma each week. On Thursday, we have the emotional support group. Uh, Monday, we do um, motivational Monday. Tuesday, we do um, uh, wellness with um, Sasha. Wednesday is me. Thursday is me and Sherry. Friday now is going to be Lisa doing um, body care and how to care for your body as part of self-care. And then Saturdays is small business Saturdays, because I do want to honor that people wanted to talk about what they're doing. And I know what was going on with the pandemic with businesses. So we do have a dedicated day for um, businesses and black owned women businesses that will talk and share about their business. And then Sunday we have spiritual, um, spiritual Sunday, which is really Sherry. And she comes in and she talks about spirituality and, holding up that area in your life in this journey. And, and so club. it really has been a joy. And don't forget the book club. Oh, my bad. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we have this awesome book club right now that is amazing. I'm so excited. Can I announce that we? Um, well, no, right now you're reading the, what, the Secret Lives of Church Ladies. Yes, we church. just finished reading The Secret Lives of uh, the Church Ladies, which was an amazing reading and conversation with all of the ladies the last two weeks and so we're coming up and I'm just so honored that we will have a special guest for the book club this week to be able to like support us and that's the author so I'm excited right um it's a very intimate group of the women that were in the larger group and now we're getting ready to read heavy and so if you're listening PSA <laughs> he's probably busy right now you're up next <laughs> so <laughs> that being said I'm just like it's exciting like we have a good time in a very hard time right in this difficult way that we're navigating the world it's a place where you can feel a little bit of safety and I'm glad that they trust me with them in their journey so let's see Hmm. You're trying to hit all of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sure I get everything before we get to dinner. Yeah. <laughs> catch up on Chicago PD. Um, exactly. So, all right, let's talk about us. Okay, I guess that's that's next. <laughs> so, we we had to celebrate our, our 10 year anniversary in a, in a pandemic, right? Being locked in. Yeah, that sucks. What has marriage taught you? Yeah, you, you didn't know I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. this is why you <laughs> wouldn't give me the cheat sheet. I was like, give me some questions so I can know what we're going to be talking about. You got me out here <laughs> on the spot. And um, marriage has taught me that you need friendship. Marriage has taught me that love is a miracle, right? You know, like some and that sounds corny, but it is, it is what it is. For those who don't get it, it's just something I can't explain. Like, I do feel like there is something unique in our connection because of who we've been outside of each other. And I think that is a miracle to be able to see someone hold you and hold each other, and I hope the same, um, and still allow you to be who you are and I say that for you, you and I are very different, mm -hmm. yet very similar in certain areas. And so I'm extremely affectionate and just a lot of loving doviness, and I'm sure it drives you crazy, but you allow me to do that in a way that still doesn't take from your need to be private or separate or, you know, like 
So I feel like we do a good job at being each other's miracle, right? And I think, you know, love is a demonstration of God. And so I hope that my marriage reflects that. So taught me love is a miracle. <laughs> so corny, what, I felt so corny even saying it. Why you got me on TV? I've been on this thing doing that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um so I, I know, you know, you, you see a lot of couples, you know. For, for therapy and so if you had to give any advice and please understand people we are not the advice giving people um i always tell people the best advice is don't take any advice you know every journey and every marriage is you know different your own mm-hmm. um, but you know your profession you actually have to unpack the layers of issues people have right so as as people, especially in the pandemic, you know, we talked to PSA the other night. Say, you know, four of his friends have gotten divorces. You know, yeah. So, as people are are sitting here together, right, for this past year, like, what are some of the issues that you're seeing that you can have people, you know, people who are listening or watching right now, just to kind of check themselves for like, like you. What did uh? Even though I, you know, I got my issues with them right now. Good night. God bless. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> some of the biggest issue that I'm seeing is that you didn't know what you signed up from for in the beginning. You didn't. Uh, you didn't like the person enough. You may have fell in love with them, but you didn't like them enough and or you didn't like yourself enough. Right. I think a lot of what's happening in this pandemic for even non-couples, uh, right, for single people, um, or those who don't uh, consider relationships, uh, it really is about what has not been resolved is showing up much louder. And what that means is your issues around partnership, your issues around communication, your issues around you know, uh, self-love and how that looks in a, in a partnership is showing up, right? And I think, you know, what I'm noticing in a lot of the couples that I'm working with is that, you know, I, some specific couple just flashed in my mind, but the domestic violence that they experienced was there before. And now it's just uh, extreme and more prevalent because you have no choice but to be in it. And so what you're finding is that the issues that you did not resolve prior to the pandemic, they're just louder. And I don't know if that's about being a couple or if that's about being human. And so a lot of the couples are showing, I I would think you really need to like your partner. (laughs) I mean, there's days where you don't like them, but you need to like them, like them at the core of who they are. And what I'm seeing is that that isn't true for everyone. And sadly, I also think that people's lack of communication skills is showing up. Like you guys, like the honest truth is most people didn't have coping skills before the pandemic. So they ain't got none now, right? And they're they're like extremely like, well, why is all this happening? Because you never ever dealt with anything before. So, yeah. That was the nicest way I could say it. And, and so even, you know, when you said the liking your partner, we're also seeing a lot of people who didn't like themselves. Absolutely. Right. And so now that they're sitting with themselves, it's, you know, they, and you have, when you're sitting with yourself for so long, you start to actually look at yourself, right. Mm-hmm. You start to see yourself in different ways. Um, so what do you say for the person who's home you know, anxious about being alone and isolation, you know, having, you know, the ups and the downs of, of all of this. So it's funny, one of my clients yesterday, that was what we were talking about um, because he's trying to date during a pandemic and uh, he keeps meeting the same type of woman. And so what we talked about was that same type of woman is showing up because that's the same kind of trauma you haven't resolved. Right. And so what I told him is that maybe we take a break on looking at why we're alone and start looking at what we haven't resolved so that way we can be okay with being alone with ourselves. And so really being able to see 
And so that's like, that's therapy talk. So I'm going to take it out for a second because you're, you're like, hey, I can't do that. You're not my therapist, right? What that means on the outside of all that is how are you falling in love with yourself on a daily basis? How do you know yourself? How do you demonstrate love to yourself? How do you motivate yourself without outward um, validation from others, right? And so if that person is struggling to do those things for themselves, they're struggling to love themselves. And so it's going to be hard to then be in a relationship on top of that. And so one of the things that I'm doing in our group right now, there's a few of the uh, women who are doing 30 days of self-love. And so like today is, and I just finished doing mine and I can't remember what it today is. Oh, wait, today is decluttering and being able to look at how your surrounding is a reflection of how you feel about even yourself and what are you doing to clean up your life so that it reflects the things that you want to take care of in, in yourself. And so it really does come down to looking intimately at what you're struggling with and not making it anyone else's fault on the outside. I know there's some questions from your Facebook group. So yeah, because then I promised also that I would uh, close with our daily tips because I didn't do the group in there. So, <laughs> so you guys are also I do have one more question, but we'll save that one for last. Okay. So, Go ahead and uh, start to. Let me see if I can grab it. <laughs> Your dad said we didn't come to the car. I didn't come to the car. You right, Dad? You were working. That was the day. Was. That was the day he came for the pizza, right? Yeah, I made sure you got that pizza though. Yeah, I wasn't going to give it to you. Not dad. trying to give it to you, and I was like, "You better give my dad his pizza." But <laughs> so I was your partner. You didn't even know it. Oh uh, no, they're just saying stuff. They're not any questions. No questions. All right. Well. This will be the last question, uh, and I know it may be tough, right? But, so well, let me do my tips first, because then if we, <laughs> then if I got to do the Russell Simmons on you, I'm out. Like, uh, go ahead. Like, all right, ladies and gents who are here today with us. So let's do our wellness tips. Drink your water. So today I don't have water. I usually show it all. Um, drink your water every single day. We don't realize how much we take out of our bodies and how much hydration is an important part of not just internal healing, but also emotional healing because it feeds your brain, your body, and everything else that needs to be taken care of. So drink your water. That's the first thing. Get some rest. You know, if you are not sleeping at least in a four hour cycle, consider changing your routine before bed. Do something as simple as take a bath, light some candles, read a book, turn off the television or any kind of light that will keep you from being able to actually get sleep, right? So try to see if you haven't gotten more than four hours, consider changing your routine so that you can be physically relaxed so that you can get the rest your body needs. That's number two. Usually Sherry's my uh, reminder. <laughs> number three, uh, emotionally, we are all going through and feeling different things. There's this thing that's going on where people are kind of, uh, I'm going to rest this word a little bit, are wrestling with the concept of joy back and forth. The truth is that joy is about well-being. And since joy is about well-being, I ask that you every single day participate in something that brings you joy. Don't look at joy like this massive pleasure thing. Look at it as simple as something like playing cards with your friend, kissing your daughter and or son and giving them a hug and telling them how proud you are, coloring and or some other form of expression that just makes you feel pleasure in the moment that too is joy because it's a part of your well-being. The last thing is mindfulness. The truth is that our minds are racing and anytime we deal with anxiety, anytime we deal with anything that relates to our emotional you know, regulation, we wanna be able to get to a place where we can steady our thinking so that we can either do things like breathing properly, putting oxygen through our body. And one of the ways to do that is to simply be mindful. Now, if you're really, really good, I would say meditate because that's a different level of mindfulness. However, for most of us, we're not going to go out and be um, a yoga master, right? We're going to be able to just start with mindfulness. You can simply, the simplest way to do that is to just distract yourself with something that actually brings you happiness and joy. For me, it's coloring. And literally I color to be able to get that mindfulness moment that's away from anything or everything else. Another thing could be something as looking at, I have plants now, so I will sit and talk with them and sing with them. And that becomes a mindfulness activity that only brings me into the moment that is present. I'm not looking about around what's going on or what else is happening in the world, I'm just present. And so the last thing we said, joy, mindfulness, drink your water, 
And the last thing is move because we are literally, most of us still transitioning back into some form of outward work and, and or we're still in the home remote, working remotely. We need to move more because we've moved less just because we've exited from the office. We need to make sure that we're intentional about movement. And so literally every hour, consider getting up and doing just a quick little walk in your house for five minutes. Any of us can do that. And throughout that whole day, you end up with five times 40 minutes worth of walking if you think about eight hours. And if not, for me, every morning, I try to make sure I do at least 30 to, to 60 minutes of some form of working out or movement to get my body going for me to start my day and to enjoy the day. And so those are our wellness tips. Ladies, you know, I will be back on Saturday because I'm going to come in and do a drop-in for us to talk about how we're feeling around Breonna Taylor's anniversary and how we are doing to take care of ourselves emotionally in this time um, and acknowledge that we are all still struggling and dealing with the fact that Black women are not always seen, but we are always loved by each other. So that's my guess. Anybody's wondering who she's talking to, she's talking to her self-care for Black women group. Yes. Um, I, took <laughs> I promised I would still do my tips, yeah. even though I wasn't coming in there today. <laughs> so, you know, usually she's in there on Thursdays, but somehow this became a thing on Thursday. I was on last week with, you know, some colleagues and friends um so i think i might make this a thing for women's history month yes who, who knows uh I see my sister samaya has just uh congratulations i want to say congratulations to you <laughs> on your new home and the move um proud of you love you Absolutely. um <laughs> but the, the last question um tell me about the black women that got you to where you are <laughs> they all good <laughs> I can't stand you <laughs> oh wow so you know I think black women are we are at our best when we know we are loved and I think black women have this magical I don't believe in the whole black mad, black girl magic thing so let me step change that word because I don't want to get it twisted Black women have this reality <laughs> that we are each other's biggest cheerleaders and supports when we are nurtured in that, right? So what that means is I feel like I have had or have some amazing women in my life. Um, my grandmother, I'm gonna start with my grandmother. Uh, my grandmother being very strong in a personality that was all about making sure that she was free to be who she wanted to be, very much outwardly a love of music, having her, like she loved money and she loved getting things. So she had all her, her stuff, her properties and all those things. And really just being okay with herself taught me something that I don't think I can ever change, which was that you got to be okay with who you are because somebody else and no one else has to do that for you. And so I think when it comes down to my foundation of black women, she's one. Um, when I was younger, I used to go to Mississippi every year for the summer. And I was like, man, I didn't want to go there. You know, I'm from Jersey, whatever, you know how we act. Um, <laughs> and the women in my life, specifically in Mississippi were my auntie and my big mama. And I just remember always feeling so welcomed and loved. And for some reason, I felt like I was important. And so they always, those, I mean, and literally we would stay from like, a, we would stay a long time. It felt like forever when we were little, but what I remember was feeling that these women saw me. And like my big mama would have this like way of making you her favorite. And she had like a billion of us. <laughs> and so with Felix, he was probably the favorite when he was there, right? And so literally what that brought for me was this feeling of like, hey, I'm all right, even if things aren't all right. And so those are my older, older. I'm going to start with my grandmother and my big mama and my uh, auntie, who's my great aunt. Um, and then I think about my aunt, uh, my aunt Judy being like my second mother. Uh, she is and has been 
my number one cheerleader since I was a little, little, little girl. And I remember because I was so close in age with my brother that she would like grab us up and take us almost like two twins to do whatever we were doing. But I can remember my first trip was taken with her. And so just being able to explore the world outside of, you know, New Jersey and seeing, it was like she opened me up to new and amazing things that I didn't know were there because of what was going on in my own reality. And so I'm always so grateful to her because even when I got older and I had worries of if I was doing the right path, she was one of the people who reminded me that my choices, although they might feel blocked and they might feel delayed, are the right ones. And so having that love and that support from a very young age just shaped me in a, in a way that I can't even put words to. And so, <laughs> you know what I'm about to, where I'm about to go without trying to cry people, because that's why you asked this question last, because we don't just hang up off of Zoom. Um, my mother was this amazing force of love. And what I mean by that is that we've had journeys as being a single daughter, like um, a single mother of four, We've had multiple people live with us. We had um, cousins who didn't have the structure of stuff in their home. My mom was the source of, you will never be without love if I know you or if you're in my life. And I, I think um, having that kind of love taught me community. It taught me the value of acceptance, even when you are struggling and or going through things that the world tells you end up in a certain way like you're not supposed to be here because you had this experience and she offered something to me that made me feel like even though she did all that stuff for everyone else they weren't even there right and so just having that kind of love especially from a black woman and I think specifically from a mother because mothers are just an important identity builder for women, right? And for men as well. Um, having that kind of love from the very beginning and being able to be my uniquely special self, because I'm sure if she was here to say how she had to navigate my personality, <laughs> it was a lot of stress, <laughs> but she did it with such grace. And when I teach um, clinical work with adolescents, I always say thank you in my mind to her because I always think about the many things that I came home with expecting her to deal with. And she kind of never made me feel like she wouldn't listen or couldn't, but she wouldn't resolve it for me. She would have me get to it myself. And that's something that I don't think you can just teach people. It's something that's part of who you are. And that's because she didn't want me to be shaped outside of my identity. Like she was into my blackness. She was into like, I was looking the other day and I was telling you, I was like, hey, I found my um my first red, black, and green little uh <laughs> knit thing. She had so like whenever I would go through anything, she would make me something related to like what I'm dealing with or growing into. And it was like she wanted when I started celebrating Kwanzaa, I came in with a fight and it wasn't popular like it is now. And she was like, All right, well, let me move off this space for you to put your candles and what else I gotta get. And then within the following year, everyone was celebrating it and knew everything about it because she made sure that I felt just as important. That kind of love isn't something you can just like. Take your time. It's just, just something you can't just give away. Like, and so I, I'm so grateful that I can see it because there was times when I was so angry at her in areas of my life that I can't go back and change. And I would never, because it also wouldn't bring me to who I am and where I am now. But that kind of love was what I feel like all mothers should bless their children with, because I never had to be anybody but Sharia to her. And that was sometimes a fight for a lot of my relationships outside of her. Um, because I show up as who I am and that isn't always easy. And so, I'm grateful to have had such an amazing foundation around Black women. And I'm going to try because you know where I'm about to go next. <laughs> Save her for last. Yeah, I did. I tried because like, I was like, I'm about to do a Russell Simmons on y'all. Good night. God bless. Um, <laughs> the My sisters, right? So Delene 
I want to make sure that I acknowledge the Ling was this amazing covering and protective person all of my life right so she is like I will punch anybody in the face I will take you down and it will not be a problem so I've been the little sister all my life so I don't know how it feels to be anything else and so I'm always so happy to get little people in my life because I'm like oh I get to be the big sister now um because I had such great sisters or have and have um my sister is the light that I remember when there was so much darkness. Um, from zero to six, even though I had a bed, I slept with my sister because I was always afraid of stuff. Like I was like, oh, it's a monster gonna get me. I'm gonna sleep with my sister. Oh, somebody such and such happened. I'm gonna go sleep with my sister. And she literally walked with me like a doll with her for, the, for, for most of my childhood. I actually, my first real, real memories are of my sister pushing me in a stroller. I could see the yellow, yellow stroller and her pushing me way too fast because I was probably afraid. And that's why it sticks with me. But I can remember how much she always just kind of like carried me and kept me. Um, and I wanted to be just like her. I wanted to spend, like I wanted to be all that she was because she was just so quiet and I was so loud. She was, yes. she was quiet. I was loud. She was, you know, she didn't need a whole lot. I kind of need a lot. <laughs> and so I always looked up to her in so many ways. And then when she went to college, I was still very young. And I can remember just with the foundation of that love. Um, I can remember stealing her clothes and her being so angry and mad at me. But I remember stealing them so that I could have something of hers. And what that meant for me then is what I know it means later because in our adulthood, we became such friends that although we were sisters, she was literally my best friend. And it really, it was because she is similar to my mom in that way that she was motivating, supportive, I literally could fly in her eyes. And I think she may have even said that in my, you know, in her own way. And I think, you know, having that kind of love around me from Black women is why I feel so strongly about giving it to others and making sure that they feel that kind of love. Because um, I don't think that it can be given to us by anyone else because no one else knows what we experience in this world like another Black woman does. And so I'm so grateful for all of the many foundations because there's other women. Uh, I think about Miss um, Austin. I think about the seeing me in a time when I didn't see myself and making the decision for me and how that changed my life and how if I hadn't, if, had she not said, well, no, here's what you're going to do and here's how you're going to do it then my whole life would be different right now because of my background and because of living in, in a city that doesn't just grant you the freedom to just be anything or privileges to just have this magical thing, great thing happen to you. But if she hadn't seen me in my 11th, 12th grade year, then maybe I wouldn't have gone to college and maybe I wouldn't have had who, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to be a therapist, to be able to help others, to be able to help other Black women be seen, to be able to go back to EOF and EOP and really go through how it feels to be motivated and stay motivated to get out of this journey and to know that there's another side. Her decision to see me, because that's what Black women do for each other. We see each other. Her, her decision to see me and then say it out loud, because that's also very important, changed my life. Kareen, I know like, I can't even imagine what college would have been like. EOF is great and has all these great supports, but without that black woman being in that place, I don't know who office I would have been in to be able to feel like someone hears me to see me. And I think that is why there's so many strong women in my life that I wanna offer that to every other black woman and every other black child that they don't have to do it alone. And I just think I can go on and on <laughs> about the greatness of how we love and how honest 
it feels to not be loved, like how hurtful it feels to not have that love, right? And so many of our daughters don't have it because of the harm that their own parents may have experienced because of the stories that they don't want to deal with or resolve. And so sometimes I get to be a, a stand-in mom, you know, as a result of the women in my life. So. You made it through. Yeah, I did. I did. I, y'all got the one or two tears. You, you sucker MC. <laughs> I realized we never introduced ourselves. We just started talking. No. I guess y'all know us. Um, <laughs> So she's been Sharia. I've been LT. Um, we're gonna end this now. Have dinner, watch a movie. Um, <laughs> thank y'all. Thank y'all for uh, thank you, you for having me. I mean, I know it was last minute and I enjoy all I love time. you. I'm proud of you. I'm honored to be your husband, proud to be your husband. Um, you made me so much better. Um really? honestly, you have and I know it's hard being married to me. I'm um, not the easiest person to, to I be. I hate when you say that. That's not true. <laughs> that is not true. It's, it's an adjustment. <laughs> but it ain't hard. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. Um, everybody out there, y'all be safe. Take care of yourself. Stay well. Um, know that there is support out there for you. Um, oh, wait. I guess we should give the, the website. Yeah. So if you are in the New Jersey area and you are thinking, hey, after listening to this, I could probably use some support myself. (laughs) Um, We do have both female and male therapists. Um, We currently have both of them have available um, places, um, which tomorrow they may not. You can reach us at rswellness.org and or you can email intake at rswellness.org and or you can call 856 389-5458 and the listen for the one that says intake and someone will be in touch with you within 24 to 48 hours to be able to try to set up and connect you to one of our amazing therapists. She's not accepting any more clients (laughs) right now but pretty soon you know we'll be expanding to Atlanta. Yeah so our goal is by the end of June to be expanding into Philadelphia, or excuse me, PA, Atlanta area, Texas, and I'm bordering on Virginia because I also want to work with uh, veterans and they have a very high population of, uh, or not VA uh, people. So we'll see, Virginia is the one that's the maybe, but Texas, Atlanta, and I mean, Texas, Georgia, and PA, we coming for you. <laughs> I'm pushing for New Orleans because <laughs> I just love being in New Orleans. So I need to go down there, set up the office. Um, <laughs> all right. So everyone, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. God um, bless everyone. Please take care of yourself. See. If you heard those tips, take them serious. Even just knowing them consistently for 30 days, you could see a change in your attitude, your mind and your body. All right. Be well. Good night, everyone. Are you a wellness provider, a life coach, a yoga teacher, a Reiki teacher? Well, come on over to Self-Care for Black Girls and list your business on our new directory. Again, visit selfcareforblackgirls.com where you can be listed as a wellness provider starting today.